Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, June 15, 2014. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, June 13th is 6498. That's 6498. This morning, A Vision for You presents Getting Unblocked. It's all about the steps. The big book was written as a set of directions for doing the steps. The promise of the 12-step process is one of a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. For us, a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. The 12 steps are a specific method for producing this personal transformation, and these results give us freedom from the bondage of food. The steps remove the things that block us from the higher power deep down within us. As soon as the block is removed, we have contact with that higher power. We have a relationship. And as soon as we have contact and relationship with that higher power, we become sane. We have been restored to sanity. We will feel a strength and a power that we know did not exist in us when we were trying to deal with our problems on our own. And here to speak further on this topic this morning is Sally A. Sally is a recovered compulsive overeater and a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous. She's eager to carry the message of recovery and will our message this morning. And welcome to the line, Sally. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for this opportunity to share share my perspective on this subject of getting unblocked because it is all about the steps. Well, good morning, a vision for you. It's my joy to be here and to speak with you this morning. And you are my family. I truly say that from the bottom of my heart. You are my family and you are my you are very much in my heart. I'm Sally A, a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. And um, to begin with, I want to share my what I call my vital signs. Because I'm a nurse, I think in terms of vital signs. And so when people call me, as I get many phone calls, as I'm sure many of you do as well, the first thing I ask them is to give me their vital signs. So this morning I will say to you, my vital signs, I have been in OA for 31 years plus, and um, I have been listening to A Vision for You since it started, and a- another big book study about four months before that. And um, my abstinence, yesterday I celebrated two years of abstinence, June 14th. Did Leah know that? I don't think Leah knew that, but I know that my higher power knew that. And so I just marvel at the timing of uh, being asked to share this morning. And finally, I have completed the steps, and I am living in step 10, 11, and 12, and continually growing, and more is being revealed to me regularly. And so that said, I will say this. Um, I don't want to share too much this morning or even uh, anything this morning to begin with about my story Um, I just would say to you that as I share about this subject, getting unblocked, it's all about the steps, 
that as we go through this this subject, I will you know touch down on a few things about my story that apply to getting unblocked. Um, beyond that, I would just say that on August 18, 2013, I shared my story at length. And if anyone is uh, wants to know more, I would suggest that you listen to that so that I don't do a repeat here. Um, but this morning, I want to talk about getting unblocked. And um, one last disclaimer I want to give to you this morning is that I want you to be at rest and at peace and sit back and relax. And I know that I'm going to share a lot of different places in the big book, in the 164 pages primarily, that talk about getting unblocked. And I don't want you to get bogged down with your book and turning pages. So I would just encourage you to have a pen and paper and just write down page numbers and look at it later if you like. Um, But just to sit back and listen. Um, And so that said, I would like to start by saying that I was very blocked when I came to this meeting after after 29 years of being in OA, mostly in the rooms, uh, moments in and out of the room where I was looking for an easier, softer way because it didn't look like OA was going to work for me. Um, for for a number of reasons, but primarily because I was gaining weight in OA. I was literally gaining weight in OA. And why was I gaining weight? It wasn't OA's fault. I was blocked. That's why I was gaining weight. That's why I couldn't get any length of abstinence back-to-back because I was blocked. And that's what we're going to talk about. I want to um, take you to begin with to page 93, because when I first worked the steps and I continually attacked the steps, like probably some of you have, I would continually get to doing, get to step three, and I've heard people talk about the step three waltz, you know, doing one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and I had a very similar experience with with the first three steps and the waltz that I did, and um, so I want to just say to begin with, um, what I did mentally was that I shut myself off to the first three steps because I was so convinced that I had this first three steps in my pocket. I thought I had it. When I'm going to turn to page 93. It says your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he is going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. But he will be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. He may be an example of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. To be vital, faith faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish, constructive action. So here I came to this to this new sponsor, and I had repeatedly not lots of different sponsors who worked with me generously. And over and over, my perspective in my brain was, I know, don't worry about that. I've got step one, step two, and step three. I've had God for years. I've got that part. Let's get to step four. But you see, I didn't have anything. You know, I heard this set-aside prayer. I hope this is not an outside con- uh, conversation. Um, but I... I believe it's not. This set-aside prayer, this first sentence of that set-aside prayer really speaks to my heart these days because it starts up by saying, set aside what you think you know. 
And I thought I had this topic down pat. The God part, no problem. Let's get to whatever else you think is my problem because I already got that one down. And I want to give you one more example before I move forward. And that is the story of Roland Hazard on page 27. You see, he had a similar perspective that I had, Roland Hazard. And those of you who don't know the story of Roland Hazard, he's really sort of one of the pioneers. And um, what I want to say about Roland Hazard, though, on page 27, when he has been in Europe for a year studying under Carl Jung, um, a noted psychiatrist, and he walks away after a year of study and, and becoming profoundly knowledgeable about what was wrong with him and why he was an alcoholic and why he was struggling so, so much. But he finally walked away. He was on his way home to the States. And on the way, he stopped at a bar and he got drunk. And he went right back to Carl Jung to say, what is wrong with me? And on page 27, Carl Jung says to him in the middle of the page, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. This is a key word. We're going to talk more about becoming reorganized and rearranged. And goes on to say at the bottom of the page, here comes here comes Roland Hazard. Upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved. Sounds like me. Oh, I got that part. For he reflected that, after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. So I've pretty much given you a history of me when it comes to being blocked, very similar to Roland Hazard, who thought that he had this thing sewn up. It was in his back pocket. No worries. I can move on. Let's get to step four. But the truth was, like me, he needed to have a vital spiritual experience. That's what I needed. So that said, I want to ask you to come with me now to the top of page 72. I want to read one sentence here, and this is a very important sentence. It says here, the very beginning of Into Action, having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We're not going to talk about that right this second. What we're going to talk about is the next sentence. We have been trying to get a new attitude a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. There it is, the heart of what we're going to talk about in the next hour. Getting unblocked. It's all about the steps. And here we see the components. And I want to talk to you about these three components of getting unblocked. The words that we're going to talk about first is the word recovered, the word relationship, and the word blocked. What is blocking us? Don't you want to know? I certainly wanted to know. I hate suspense. You know, I read the last chapter of every book before I get to the meat of the book or even the beginning of the book. I can't stand suspense. So tell me quick, what's the answer? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to start with the word 
recovered because that's where we're heading. Isn't that what we all want? We want to be recovered. We don't want to just be abstinent. We want to be recovered. I'll never forget the first day I heard the word recovered. I was floored and shocked after 29 years of being in OA. I had not heard the word recovered ever used. If I did, it just was like one of many words that flitted past my brain. But here's what the big book says about the word recovered. We're going to go to XXVII, where it says strenuous work, XXVII, top of the page. Strenuous work. Oh, no. I apologize. XXVII. Strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. And I apologize. That's, I don't think that is the right page number. That is XVII. Top of the page. It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. So that's what we all want. We don't want to be recovered for three months, right? We don't want to be recovered for two years. We want to be recovered permanently. That's what I want. I want this thing to be done. I want to live in recovery. That's what we all want. And what does it take to be recovered? We're going to look at the three things it says about being recovered, permanently recovered. So this is the first one. Strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recover recovery. Then we see on page 99, bottom of the page, remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. What? You mean I don't need you working with you to meet, for me to be recovered for good? No, that's not what, it, what this is all about. It is dependent upon his relationship with God. And we're going to look at this, our relationship with our higher power and how it relates to working with others. Finally, I want you to look with me at 567. You don't have to look. I'll just read this to you. 567, in the spiritual experience, in the middle of the page, it says, in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Let me go back to our anchor page, which is 72, because that's what we can see very clearly that's being said to us. They're talking about in order for us to recover, we have to acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness. Remember what we read on page 72. We've been trying to get a new attitude a new relationship with our creator, and to discover the obstacles in our path. These components are crucial. So in order to recover, we must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness. We need a relationship, followed at once by a vast change in our feelings and our outlook. We're going to get a new attitude, and we're going to discover the obstacles in our path. Recovered. 
Okay, that's the goal. Recovered. Now we're going to look at the word relationship. We're not going to spend a long time on that because we're going to look at that in the, in the context of steps 1 through 12. But just for a moment, we're going to talk about a new relationship with our higher power. I'm turning to the bottom of page 13 because I'm going to also use this little paragraph at the bottom of page 13 and put this in context with each of the steps because it should be in context with each of the steps. My friend promised when these things were done, and they're talking about the steps, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator. That's what the steps are going to do for us. One step at a time, we're going to establish a new relationship with our creator. And that I would have the elements, again, bottom of 13, of a way of living which answered all my problems. All my problems? Gee whiz, because my problems were not just food-related. I had a living problem. I had a lifestyle problem. My problem was between my ears. That was my primary problem. And then I also had a problem with food. Belief, now they're going to give me the elements, the elements of way of living. And we're going to be looking at these elements in context with the 12 steps. And here's the elements. Belief in a power, in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility. Top of 14 tell us, tells us this is the new order of things. These are the essential requirements. We see that also the same essential requirements, the same elements are given to us on page 57. Take a look. It says here, we're going to talk more about this, so not to worry. If it's a little bit feels like it's flying over your head, don't worry. We're going to revisit this. Circumstances, page 57, circumstances made him willing to believe. There's the word believe. He humbly there's the word humble that we saw humility on bottom of 13. He humbly offered himself to his maker. Then he knew. Even so, has God restored us all to our right minds. That's where we're heading. We're going to be restored to our right minds as we become recovered. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grew into it more slowly. But he has come to all who have honestly, there's the third thing, sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. So we see here, again, we see belief, we see a humbleness, we see honesty here. And we see it here at the bottom of 13. Belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility. These are the elements of the way of living. And we can go... We can take a look. I'm not going to go there. We can look at um, the the same words are used in 568, um, the how words, um, honesty, open-mindedness or openness, and willingness. And these are, these are the, the crucial words that you need to have as elements, essentials to your recovery. I, I honestly, I've heard, I've heard commercials talk about things in our life that are essentials, that are elements to our wardrobes. You know, but this is what is required 
for me to be recovered. These are the elements for me to be recovered. I have to have belief. I have to have enough willingness, honesty, and humility. Because on page uh, 568 uses the word open-minded, I'm going to just take a moment here to read to you what the big book dictionary says about open-mindedness and add that to your elements or essentials to getting well. And from there, we're going to get right into the steps. We're going to dive right in. What it says is open-minded, having or showing an inclination to respect views and beliefs that differ from one's own, being ready and willing to receive favorably new and different ideas or the opinions of others, being broad-minded, tolerant, open, receptive. And that's what I'm asking of you this morning. I'm asking you to be a little broad-minded this morning as we talk about this concept of getting unlocked. Now, we've talked about recovered. We've talked a little bit about relationship with higher power. And now I want you to look with me at the word getting unblocked. That is what we're going to talk about this morning. The word unblocked is used on the top of page 64, the top paragraph. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, they're referring to step three, it could have little permanent effect unless it once followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. So it's the thing in me, something in me, something in self. There's the word that we're going to see, that's a thread that travels with us through these, these pages. It's the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom. Our food was but a symptom. So we had to get down to causes and conditions. And then on the top of page 71, it says, we hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self, whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. And that's what we're going to talk about. What is blocking you from your higher power? That's where we're heading on this little tiny cruise ship that we're on this morning. And finally, I want you to look at the next page where we started, back to our anchor. I'm going to sort of put an anchor in this deep waters. Still waters run deep. And that's where we are in the middle of a a big bay of one of the great lakes. We've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator, and to discover what's blocking us, the obstacles in our path. That's what we're going to look at. What's blocking you? What was blocking me? Self. The remedy? The steps. There's two stories that I want to touch down on before we dive into these steps. The first one is Bill's story. I want you to look with me at Bill's story and how he got unblocked. So I'm going to go to page 12 and 13. That's primarily where he gets unblocked, but Again, don't, don't get too fixated on what I'm looking at. I want you to be listening. So here we are on the top of page 12. You know, he's had this visit with his friend Epi, and he's thinking, and he's thinking about what he's blocked about. 
That's what we see on this first paragraph on 12, top of the page. Despite the living example of, the, of my friend, Ebby, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. This is what was blocking him, and this is what's blocking most of us. There remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudices. The word God still aroused a certain antipathy, strong feelings of dislike, hostility, and or opposition. When the thought was expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified. Ugh. I didn't like the idea. I could go for such conceptions as creative intelligence, universal mind, spirit of nature, but I resisted the thought of a czar of the heavens. However loving his sway might be, I have since talked with scores of men who felt the same way. You know, he's talking about being unblocked, being blocked here. And mind you, on top of 10, top of page 10, he's a little more specific about what's blocking him, his childhood memories. Still Sundays, way over on the hillside. He talks about his grandfather's contempt of some church folk. You know, he talks about being blocked on 10, top of 10, and top of 12. But moving down on 12, the middle of the page, he goes on to saying how he got a little unblocked. My friend suggested what then, what then seemed a novel idea. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? Your own conception of God. That statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain. More about being blocked? His icy intellectual mountain? In whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. Bill's getting unblocked right here. It was only a matter of being willing to believe. Remember, bottom of 13, that's, these are the essentials, the elements. We see him touching down on the essentials, the elements. Willingness to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. Okay, Bill is making a beginning. That's what he's telling us here. To make his beginning, what, what does it take? It took willingness to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. And then we see him on block. What does that look like? Let's go to the bottom of the page. I just marvel at how in one page the guy goes from blocked to getting unblocked to unblocked, bottom of the page. Thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him Enough, enough, my favorite word, by the way, enough, because I was never enough, but I found one who is more than enough, my higher power. And there it is in capital letters, H, him, when we want him enough. At long last, I saw, I felt, I believed, scales of pride and prejudice, that's what was blocking him, fell from my eyes. A new world came into view. This is a promise for all of us. We have a promise that scales of pride and prejudice will fall from your eyes as they have from mine. And a new world, the land of recovered is what I call it, came into view. That's a promise. How do we get the promise? It tells me in italics a few sentences above. It was only a matter of being willing 
to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. This is Bill's step two. So the bottom of the page, the real significance of my experience in the cathedral burst upon me. Now let me just pause here for a moment and tell you, anyone who has read these pages with me knows this. Bill weaves the story of the Winchester Cathedral through his story. On page one, he touches down like like a helicopter. He lands on this topic for a second. He just touches down. He says, we landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral, much moved. That's all he has to say. He's moved. Something happened in Winchester Cathedral. He goes to the page nine where he talks about Evie sitting and talking with him, and he's, his initial reaction is a knee-jerk reaction when Evie says to him on page nine, I've got religion. We're seeing this thread woven through the chapter. I've got religion in the middle of the page. And his knee-jerk reaction is pride and prejudice tells him to say, I was aghast. That's his instant instinct. But then you turn the page to page 10, and he says in the middle of the page, it's funny how it's in the middle of the page, just like it's in the middle of page 1, it's in the middle of 10, and it's in the middle of 12, over and over in the middle of the page. That wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. Here he is like a, like a little helicopter. He's going to touch down on what happened in old Winchester Cathedral. Hmm. I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are. Well, gee whiz, he was aghast a minute ago on page 9. But here he's telling us, He had always believed. So perhaps that was his knee-jerk reaction, his pride and his prejudice. I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Hmm. Few people really are, for that means blind faith in the strange proposition that this universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. Okay, he's going to go on to his intellect, but we'll go back. Go back to 12... Page 10, 12 rather, bottom of the page when he's getting unblocked. So thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. At long last I saw, I felt, I believed. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. A new world came into view. Here it is. The real significance of my experience in the cathedral, in Winchester Cathedral, burst upon me like fireworks in his brain. For a brief moment, I had needed and wanted God. There had been a humble willingness. Now, mind you, we see in italics, a little bit above willingness, we see that he was willing to believe. Now he's telling us the last three lines of page 12. There had been a humble willingness to have him with me, and he came. But soon, the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors. Hmm, he's blocked. That's what he's telling us. He had the components that are on the bottom of 13 that we're going to keep looking at this morning, the elements, the essentials. It uses the word essentials on the top of 14. It uses the word essentials in 567 and 8. It talks about essentials. Those four words, again and again, I'm going to drill it. Belief, willingness, honesty, Humility. And we see it here in Bill's story, willing to believe. The bottom of the page, 
a humble willingness. But he gets honest with us and he tells us soon the presence of the soon the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors, mostly those within myself. Worldly clamors is just another word for obstacles. Page seventy two that Bill had to find out. What were his obstacles? They were his worldly clamors that were blotted out, blotting out his experience, his spiritual experience. Okay. Mostly those within myself. Self strikes again. Worldly clamors, mostly those within myself. And so it had been, so it had been ever since how blind I had been. Bill recognizes that he had he was close to his higher power for that moment in Winchester Cathedral, much moved, but worldly clamors blocked him from the sunlight of his experience with his higher power. And what was he blocked by? Mostly those within my self. Self. Now, turn with me to page 56 and page 57. We're going to see another short story. I like to call this guy Fritz. Somebody actually told me the guy's name is Fritz. This little short version of this story is, of course, taken from the Southern Gentleman. The long version is page 208 in the book, in the back of the book, his chapter, his story, which you can see very clearly is the same guy. I'm going to start on the bottom of 55 just for context. In this book, you will read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. Hmm. His story is so interesting that some of it should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Okay. So tell us the long story on page 208 in A Southern Gentleman. Here's a short form. At the top of the page, in one little paragraph, they tell us he's blocked. Here's what it says. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church. It goes on to say he had an overdose of religious education. It goes on to say that for years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble, frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide, these calamities. Bill called them on top of 13 worldly clamors. Fritz, bear with me. I'm going to call him Fritz. Fritz called him calamities. These calamities to his immediate family embittered and depressed him. Was he blocked? Were these his obstacles? Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse, brought him to the point of self-destruction. This guy was ready to kill himself. I relate and I identify completely. I was so sick of being sick and tired. And then, here he tells us he's going to get unblocked. One night, when confined in a hospital bed, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. We know it's Bill. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out. Now, when it says our friend's gorge, feelings of anger, disagreement, disgust, possibly was this his pride and his prejudice, like like Bill had his on page 12? Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, If there's a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. And what I hear 
is my story. I'm mad at you, God. I don't want to talk to you. If I have to, I will. But I'm mad at you. And he says, if there's a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. This is Fritz's story of blocked. Later in the room, he asked himself his question. I'll get to my story in a minute. Is it possible that all these religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought. Remember, all action is born in thought. We all learn that from somebody that's very dear to us. All action is born in thought. And this is the beginning of his thinking. He's coming to this, he's making his decisions here. First three steps, by the way, are our decision steps, our thought process that lead us to the ability to take some action so we can get recovered, get well. So like a thunderbolt, a great thought came to him. It crowded out all else. Who are you to say there is no God? These words came to him in his head. Who are you to say there is no God? I'm going to pause here for a minute. I want to tell you that I've had uh, three times in my life, I've had three moments that were very, very important where I had a thought that came to my head that was very much like a knock on the on the door, the dark, dark door in the corner of my mind. I kept it, I kept it nailed shut, that door. I didn't want to talk to God about the things in that door. I kept that door nailed shut. Nailed with four-inch nails. Have you ever seen a four-inch nail? I've purchased them in Lowe's and Home Depot. Four-inch nails, I've nailed that door shut. Let me tell you the first time I was 22 years old, I had years of in the food from the age of 14 until I was 22. I was bulimic, and I was fasting. I was doing everything I could to control what I looked like, to control the, the rolls of fat that would have been on me had I not turned to fasting for 40 days and 30 days and two weeks, many, many, many times in the course of those years. And I was bulimic, another tool that I carried in my little doctor kit to fix Sally. That's where my reasoning led me. And one day when I was 22, I had just given birth to my son. And I was sitting at the dining room table. It was Thanksgiving. And my sisters were in my bedroom because we were in my home for Thanksgiving. And my three sisters were in my bedroom. They were trying on each other's jeans and giggling and laughing and, and just having fun. And I sat there at the table with the food in front of me, binging. My mother was next to me. And my mother said to me, Sally. I cried to her and I said, I hate this. I hate that I can't be part of, you know, being with them and, and trying on jeans and just, the, you know, the camaraderie that my sisters had. Because they were all thin. I just had a baby. So I was very, very heavy because I couldn't turn to my tools of fasting and, and, um, and bulimia while I was pregnant. And my mother said to me, Sally, why don't you go to the bathroom? You know what to do. See, my mother was bulimic. My mother taught me how to be bulimic when I was 14. And so I went to the bathroom, and I turned on. The little nightlight was on. I turned on the water, you know, to camouflage what I was about to do. That was my life. I was all about camouflaging the fat, camouflaging what I was doing. So I turned on the water. I picked up the toilet seat. And as I got ready to get on my knees in front of that toilet seat, Somebody said to me recently to bow to the god of porcelain. Woo, that hit me hard. 
I picked up the toilet seat, but I didn't get down on on my knees. I had a thought that came to my mind, just like Fritz did here on page 56. The thought that came to my mind was, don't you dare. That's it. My higher power is the God of few words. Don't you dare. Right away, my reasoning kicked in. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. I'm going to hurt my voice. Or maybe I'm going to choke to death. (gasps) I put the toilet seat down. Those words in my head were so strong, I never lifted a toilet seat again for the purpose of being bulimic. Never. And that was over 25 years ago. God made an impression on me that day with simple words, don't you dare. So here's Fritz. Who are you to say there is no God? These words really must have hit him over the head like, you know, a little bit of like a a wrench, a plumber's wrench. This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. Picture a tsunami. Picture this this huge wave that just keeps building, building, building. It's like a wall. You know, it's bigger than one of those waves in Hawaii that they that those guys are, you know, they're they're on their boards, you know, surfboards. It's bigger than one of those. It's a tsunami. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. That's a tsunami. The barriers, the obstacles, the blocks, the pride and the prejudice. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. No later vicissitude, the word vicissitude, no later changes, no later hardship, no later calamity had shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away that very night years ago. It disappeared, save for a few brief moments of temptation. The thought of drink has never returned. He's recovered. This is something to jump up and down about with excitement. And at, and at such times, a great revulsion. You know, when the thought of drink would ever return, such time, great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. God had restored his sanity. Okay. I've said a lot. I've talked a lot about Bill, Bill's story. I've talked about our Southern gentleman on page 56 and 57. The steps are the remedy. Let's talk about the remedy. When I say the steps are the remedy, let me make it more clear to you. This is how my little brain thinks. The steps are my chemo. Yes. I am not trying to do or say something that is out of line here. I have a disease no less than cancer. Page 18 likens my disease to cancer. I have a disease that is just like cancer. It erodes, it kills me. Did you know, I'm a nurse, so I know this fact, especially having been a hospice nurse for years. Did you know that when you have cancer, a lot of times people have um, a sudden loss of weight 
a weight loss that's, that's nobody can figure out where's the weight loss coming from. That is an instant trigger to an oncologist or any doctor. Unexplainable weight loss, that's what they call it. Me, I have the opposite. Explainable weight gain. They have unexplainable weight loss. And their, their disease calls for chemotherapy. My disease calls for the steps. Now, I want to say this because it's really important for me to say it. My sponsor to me is like my chemo, my oncology doctor. I've never had cancer, so I, you know, I don't know what it's like to have an oncology doctor. But having worked with oncology doctors for many years now, I can tell you that when an oncology doctor tells a patient, listen, this is what's happening. You've got a disease. It requires you to get chemotherapy. Um, you're going to have to be in the hospital you're going to have to be attached to chemotherapy for about four weeks. You're going to attach it to you, and you're going to have it daily, daily. And then you're going to have it weekly, weekly. Now, the patient doesn't say to the doctor, oh, gee, doc, I was going to, I'm going on vacation next week. As soon as I get back, I'll get started. Do you think he says that? No, he doesn't say that. Why? He recognizes the nature and the severity of his disease. He knows. People are aware. The big C. Haven't you heard? It's really a formidable disease. Sadly, not a lot of people understand the nature and the severity of the disease that we are walking around with, me and you. You see, I'm aware. I know because I lived in it for 31 years. I've lived with it. For 31 years, I have lived and breathed an eating disorder. And for 29 years, I suffered. I suffered. I really did suffer. So that's the big picture I want you to see to begin with. The picture is, the understanding here to begin with is, we're talking about getting unblocked, and we're talking about the steps being the remedy to getting unblocked. And I want you to understand that the steps are your chemotherapy. So that said, let's get started on step one. Step one, we admitted we are powerless and that our lives have become unmanageable. We see here two components, well, even three components. Number one, admit it. And we see, how does page 13, how does the four essentials fit in with step one? I'm going to always start by saying that. I have to be rigorously honest for step one. It requires rigorous honesty. And what are the four elements, the essentials on top of 14? Uses the word essential requirements for this way of living, a belief in the power of God, enough willingness, honesty, and humility. Step one requires humility. Admit it. Can you admit it? Can you admit the nature and the severity of what you're dealing with? What are we admitting that we have been suffering and trying to figure out, reason our way through this? What I am actually admitting is my need, my need for a higher power. I am admitting that I am powerless. Page 11, Bill's story. Page 11, he says, but my friend sat before me and he made the point blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. Okay, 
Here's step one, page 11. Like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead suddenly, taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. Had this power originated in him? Obviously it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute, and this was none at all. So we see here Bill is describing the powerlessness of step one. We see him admitting with, with, with rigorous honesty his need and the fact that he is powerless and he needs a power greater than himself. Step one, put the food down. This is the beginning of your steps to recovery. It tells us, the big book tells us, put the food down, XXVI, bottom of the page. I don't know why this is. Hmm. XXVI. Okay, it's not XXV. Yeah, XXVI. It is imperative, last line of the page, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. Let me be clear. Step one, you must put the food down. This is a tough step because we do have to admit rigorously, honestly, what it is we have to put down. But we must put the food down, whatever it is that is leading us to the the crazy thinking. Put the food down. Page 19, top of the page, tells us a story of a guy, Jim. Tells us the story of Jim. And here's the key thing I want to say about Jim's story, is that Jim had made a beginning, top of the page. We feel that elimination of our drinking, our eating, our binging, whatever it is that we're binging over, we feel that elimination of it is but a beginning. So step one, we are making a decision in step one to put the food down and we're making a beginning. That's what we have to do to make our beginning. We've got to put the food down. Page 35 talks more about making our beginning. Jim made a beginning here. It says here, we told him, I'm sorry, let me be clear, at the bottom of the page, last paragraph, we told him what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. He made a beginning. Jim made a beginning here on page 35. What did he do? When he made a beginning, he put the food down. It tells us, it goes on to tell us three lines down. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. So, this is in a nutshell, step one. We admit it. We admitted our need that we're powerless. We put the food down. Let's move to step Let me just say one last thing about this. I've had many, many experiences of getting on and off the wagon, of putting the food down. Putting the food down was never a problem for me. Keeping it down was a big problem. And I have to tell you this. 
because I think it's an important component of step one. It says on page 30, am I now willing to fully concede? Well, it says in the middle of the page, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. Nobody else has to get this, just you. This is the first step in recovery. That's what it says here in the middle of the page. The delusion that we are like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. Has to be smashed. This is an important component of your step one. You've got to stop thinking you're like anybody else. You're not. You're like, the only people you're like are the other compulsive people in this boat. You have to fully concede who you are, and that does take rigorous honesty. And let me say this, God wants your abstinence more than you do because God wants you to stop being in a sick relationship with food more than you do. God wants you to be in a healthy relationship with your higher power. He doesn't want you to be in a sick relationship with food. Step two, believe. This is the key word in the bottom of 13. What does it require? What, what, what from the elements, from the essentials, it requires believe? Page 47, we'll just look at one or two. Page 47 talks about the key thing about believe, step two, believe. We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, what's the cornerstone? Believe. A wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. There's a lot said about this word believe. We looked at the word believe on the bottom of 13. We've seen how it applies to this man, uh, Southern Gentleman, on page 57. Believe. I want to look at the word believe in relation to page, in relation to the word for your relationship with your higher power. Believe. Page 28, all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, are the children of a living creator with whom we may form a relationship upon simple and understandable terms as soon as we are willing and honest enough to try. Page 29, each individual in the personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view, his own perspective, the way he established his relationship with God, how he came to believe You see, it's about our relationship. Step three. What does it take for us to have step three? We made a decision. It's another decision step to turn our will and our life over to God. I played God for a long time. And let me tell you, I was extremely controlling about everybody's life. I was the only thing out of control. Just me. Everybody else, I had them under control. And let me tell you that I've learned that there's a direct proportion between controlling and insecurity. As controlling as you are, that's how insecure you are. That's what I've found out about me. Page 62 says, talks about self will run riot. Yeah. 
We had to have God's help to quit playing God. And page 63 in the middle, it talks about the step three prayer. Relieve me of the bondage of self. That's what we're doing here. We're asking our higher power in step three to relieve me of the bondage of self. Because self was a big, big part of the problem. And it goes on to say in that prayer, may I do thy will always. That's a prayer that I always left that part out. I never liked that part. May I do thy will always? I liked my will. A new mindset, willing and open-minded. Third step prayer says so much. God wants to fix us, to heal us. The word used actually on page 57 is heal us. And it's, it's like a conduit becoming unblocked. Let me say this. It's like a pipe, a big pipe under a highway that's filled with debris. That's us blocked. Filled with leaves, trees, refrigerators, doors. You know, somebody's house got knocked down and debris from their house filled up that conduit. And when you're getting unblocked, by the time I got to step three, I was getting unblocked. And the water was just trickling through the conduit, through the leaves. You could just see it trickle at the end of the leaves. And I learned, by the time I got to step three, I learned to pray, to pause, to pray, to ponder. I learned these things, and it was part of the trickling of the water. Step four, our relationship again. Page 164 tells us, we read this every morning on A Vision for You. Here's the most important words to me. In the middle of this paragraph, see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. You think it's an error or a mistake that they went forward right there and said, abandon yourself to God. That's what we're doing as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. That's step four and five. We're going to give it away, but we write in step four. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. That is key. Page 62 talks about selfishness and self-seeking and driven by a hundred forms of fear. That was me. That's what I wrote down when I was writing down, when I was doing my fact-facing and my fact-finding and my step four, my very long list. All of my character defects were displayed in full bloom color. These are the things that I was using to cope. This is what I was using to intellectually reason my way through life. All of my character flaws are just written in between the lines of my step four inventory. And instead of turning to my higher power, I was doing it my way, my maladaptive coping mechanism way. But instead of doing that, I learned a new way. Here's another one on the word relationship. Page 420, it tells us acceptance is the key to my relationship with God. You see, that's what we're doing here in the steps. We're building a relationship with God. And if I'm going to stop being controlling, which is the key character flaw that I saw in myself in the process of doing my step four inventory, 
I'm going to instead learn to surrender outcomes and accept life on God's terms because acceptance is the key to my relationship with God. You see, the steps are teaching you about how to have a relationship with your higher power. That's what's going to happen to you in the process of doing the steps. Step five. Step five is such, it's a, such an important step because we have our own subjective view of how we see life. And then we have the ability and, the, and the, the gift of seeing somebody else's objective view of how they see us. And page 75 for, for step five is a very key page for step five. We, we talked about it earlier this week, so I'm not going to say a lot. But I am going to say this because I want you to see how the steps illuminate your recovery and how you're going to develop a healthy relationship with your higher power instead of living in a sick relationship with food. Page 75, it says, we thank God, bottom paragraph, we thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. By step five, we're getting to know him better. And it says a little higher in the page, in the, the beginning of that first paragraph, well, actually, I want to go a little bit lower. It says, we may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. This is all step five. This is what's happening in the process of step five. It says, we pocket our pride and go to it. Okay, we're going to give away our step five. Illuminating every twist of character, every maladaptive coping mechanism that I had, I needed because I wasn't willing to turn to God instead. Turn to praying, to turn to pondering, turn to pausing. Instead, I turned to my own list of character flaws, which all distilled down to four key words. All my character flaws boiled right down to selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and fear. Every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step, step five, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel. We begin to feel, first of all, because we put the food down. And we begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We begin to feel. See, we're developing a relationship in the process of doing our steps. Step six, I made a list of my flaws. Every defect comes under the heading of selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and fear. Page 66 talks about my disease. Haven't you heard? It's like some people say, my lupus, my depression. I hear this all the time. People talk. They, they own their disease. Are you ready? Are you willing to let go of your disease? Instead of living in a diseased state of mind, are you ready? That's what page 76 talks about when it talks about the step six prayer. Are you ready to stop owning the sick part of your disease? And instead of having a sick relationship with food, are you ready to have a a healthy relationship with a higher power? Are you ready? Are you willing? Because it uses the word willing also. To have your defects removed. Just the ones that are making you less useful to God and to your, to your fellows. Not all of them. And this step takes, like step five, takes honesty and humbleness. This, takes, this step takes them all. It takes a willingness. It takes honesty to make this list. It takes a humbleness. What's the word humble mean? Humility means the absence of self-will, self-pride, and self-assertion. I'm not going to assert my will anymore. I'm not going to assert what I think anymore. And it takes belief 
to sit down and write a list that we're asking God to remove these things. It takes all four of the essentials, the elements of page 13. Step seven, humbly, my creator. When you pray, you are taking a position of humility. That's where you're starting. Humbly. Step seven, the transforming of our motivation. What we did, why we did it. All of my motives were transformed. Page 68, self-reliance versus God-reliance. Top of the page is all about me, 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 me. Me relying on me and my self-reliance. It moves down to my God-reliance. And then it moves down to asking God humbly to remove every fear. Page, step eight. At some of these we balked. Oh boy, did I balk. I balked. Certainly I balked at step eight. Page 58, bottom of the page says, at some of these we balked. And this step, step eight, all of these steps are about ego reduction. Self has to decrease. Page 62 at the top of the page talks about the root, the root. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble. Self has to be smashed. It has to be whittled down. Our ego has to be whittled at. That we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-speaking, self-pity. Hello, do you hear the word self, self, self? That's what they're talking about here. And the important thing that I hear about this is the honesty, the willingness that I have here, the humility to lay down self. It's not enough to have 99.9% of this humility. It's important for us to be rigorously honest. Step nine. The surrendering, the willingness to go and to share, to tell people who I am. Boy, you've got to be honest and you've got to be humble by this point for us to do this. Don't be attached to the outcomes when you get to step nine. Remember that we have to surrender the outcomes. When we, when we go to other people to give them our step nine, it's important that we, we don't have any expectations That's why it says acceptance is the key to my relationship with my higher power, page 420. Acceptance. I cannot go with any expectations to another human being about how they're going to react or respond to what I say to them. I am going to them because I owe them an apology. We don't argue with them. Page 103 at the bottom. Page 84 at the bottom. Page 77 at the bottom. Page 98 at the bottom. You know why it's important for me to say that to you? Because it's the bottom line of each of those pages. Can you imagine that it's the bottom line? The bottom line is we're going to stop arguing with people. We're going to stop justifying our actions. The bottom line on those pages, page 103 to 84, 77, and 98, it talks about the fact that we are going to cease fighting anyone or anything, including the food. Why? Because we're going to surrender and we're going to accept life on God's terms. Step 10, we continue. Page 84, we continue. We watch for flaws which come under selfishness, dishonesty, fear, and resentment. We ask God at once to remove them. Our dependence is on God at this point. Page 98 talks about job or no job, wife or no wife. We simply do not get well. We do not recover unless we place our dependence on our higher power. Let me say this. You know, the step 10 promises, I just want to touch on this for one second. It talks about the neutrality that we have in the food, with the food rather, um, in those 
Step 10 Promises. And you see, I want to tell you, the reason why I am neutral with food is because I'm not in a relationship with food anymore. I'm in a relationship with my higher power now. That's why I'm neutral when it comes to the food. You know, I talked about this once recently, about how there was a donut. There was a donut sitting on a plate next to me at a, at a board meeting that I had to attend for my job. And I sat there, and my face was looking to the left most of the meeting because, you know, I was sitting, in the, and the guy who was the speaker was up on, and we were sitting in a horseshoe, basically. And I was, you know, to the speaker's right, about five people down. And next to me, to my right, was this person who had a half-eaten donut sitting there on the counter. And I kept looking at the speaker, but once in a while I would turn to my right and I'd see that donut. And I would think to myself, huh, are you still there? Wow, you've been there the whole meeting. And I almost found myself talking, I really was, talking to the donut in my head. Are you still there? Because it was like an old friend. But I'm not in that sick relationship anymore. I've let go of that sick relationship. Now I'm friends with God. Step 11, expand. Now that I've had a spiritual awakening, I'm told I must expand. And let me tell you how I've expanded in step 11. I've expanded by saying like, thank you to God. Because 417 says nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake, I then accept everything that comes to me today as God's will. I thank God. Let me give you two examples. I got stopped for a speeding ticket. Oh, boy, I was not a happy camper. The policeman came over to me. And I immediately in my head, I said, thank you, God. Apparently you think I need to slow down. Not a speeding ticket, forgive me. I, I got stopped for going, apparently through, I didn't stop long enough at a stop sign. And the policeman stopped me. And he said, you kind of blew that stop sign. I said, oh, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I thought I had stopped long enough, but okay. Because, you see, I've ceased fighting anyone or anything. It's not the old Sally anymore that would pull out her Italian New York, you know, montage of, oh, let me talk you out of this. No, okay, thank you, officer. Okay, whatever you think. I give him my license and registration, and then I prayed. Lord, if you think perhaps maybe it's enough of a punishment that I just had a heart attack because he came up behind me with his light, and you don't want me to have, you know, also the monetary punishment, that would be awesome. And when the policeman came over to me and he handed me my license and registration and did not give me a ticket, I saw that as my higher power. You see, that's what happens for me, is that every day I start to see how my higher power is with me throughout my day. And I have the opportunity, instead of thinking constantly about food and how it's going to numb and anesthetize me, I have the opportunity instead to turn my thoughts to my higher power. That's what's happening. I've developed a new relationship. Step 12, my motives. I used to make my phone calls. I used to do what I needed because that's what it needed. I, that's what me, 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 me needed for recovery. Not anymore. Now I make my phone calls because that's me developing my relationship with my higher power. That's me getting well. That's me listening to my higher power saying, you need to call so-and-so because you heard that that person picked up yesterday and they're probably suffering today. You need to call that person and talk to them and tell them it's okay. Not that it's okay they picked up, but that it's a new day. Let's move forward. And let me tell you, if they tell me they picked up 15 minutes ago, I say, it's okay. It's a new day. At, if they tell me it's 2.15 when they picked up, I tell them, when's the last time you picked up? They say 2.15. I go, okay, it's 2.30. Tomorrow at 2.30, it's, a new, it's one day of abstinence. We're going to start right now. It's a new day. 
I, I do these things that I do because of the same reasons Dr. Bob does them on page 181. I'm going to just end by saying, because I'm at the end of my share here, I really want to give you time to ask questions. I want to say, this is a story that goes through my mind for the steps. Step one, close your eyes and follow me in this story. Picture yourself on a beach, sitting on a sandy beach. It's a beautiful day. Maybe you were buried in the sand by your kids or your grandkids or just a friend. And you're sitting there feeling tickled, salty. Salt water is just laden in your body. You've been in the water, you're covered in sand, and you feel yucky. And you're sitting there on the beach. Stand up. That's step one. Stand up. Make a decision. Remember, the first three steps are decisions. Stand up and let the sunlight dry you off. Let the sand fall off your skin. That's step one. Now you're going to walk down to the water's edge. You're making a decision to walk down to the water's edge with these little tiny waves lapping at your feet. And there's a lifeboat. That's all. A lifeboat is sitting there. Can you believe that a lifeboat is there? That there is a lifeboat with your name on it? That's you walking down to the edge. Just put your hand on that lifeboat. That's step two. Came to believe that there could be a lifeboat for me. Step three. Made a decision to get in the lifeboat. Nobody's in the boat except your higher power. Are you willing to get in the boat and let your higher power direct you? Are you willing That's all it takes. Made a decision to turn, change direction, get in the boat, to turn your will and your life. Is there anything left to turn? Your will is everything going on in your head. Your life is all your outward circumstances. To turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand him. Okay, sit down. Spit in the palm of your hands. Rub your hands together. Take the oars. You're going to set a pace. That's what it tells us to do. Set a pace. You're going to get... You're not going to cross an ocean. This is no ocean. It's not going to take that long to cross this bay. You're going to cross the Great Lakes. There's some pretty heavy-duty... There's some waves along the way. But you know what? There's going to be other recovered people that come alongside your little rowboat. Me and others with our tugboats and with our ocean liners. We're going to come alongside you. And we're going to help you to stop the storms of life from toppling over your lifeboat. And you're going to row and you're going to row and you're going to do step four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And you're going to take these actions to get you to the land of recovered. And then eventually you're going to see it in the distance. And we're going to all cry for you and with you. Land ho! It's the land of recovered. You've made it there. You're there. And you're going to get to the land of recovered and live in step 10 where you're going to continue to take personal inventory, to do four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine daily, moment by moment. You're going to live in 11 and 12. And we're going to all live together on the land of recovered. And we'll get into boats and we'll go and greet others who are on their journey to the land of recovered. And that's the way I see it. That's the way I see it. I want to leave you with this thought. Relationship. That's what it's all about. That's what the Big Book tells us. The bottom of 13, it told us that the key to our relationship, well, there's been a lot of keys. We saw a key on page 420. The key was acceptance. We see here on page 13, and that's where I want to leave you, on the bottom of 13. My friend promised, and I'm promising you this, 
When these things were done, when you took these steps, you would enter upon a new relationship with your higher power, with your creator, that you would have the elements of a way of living which answered all of your problems, not just your eating problem, your life problems, belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility. These are the elements and the essentials of what it takes to be in a relationship with your higher power. And remember, over and over and over and over, page 13, page 28, page 29, page 72, bottom of 99 to the top of 100, page 164 and page 420, tell us that the relationship with our higher power, this is what it takes. Why? Why? Because we stopped being in a sick relationship with the food and we are developing a healthy relationship with our higher power. That's what it takes to become recovered. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sally, for this thorough and enlightening presentation on getting unblocked. It's all about the steps. We appreciate your time and energy on this topic this morning. Now we're going to open the lines for a question and answer period. First, of course, let's talk contact information. Sally, uh, would you like to offer your phone number at this time? Yes, I would be happy to offer my phone number. It's 609 609- 605-4512, and please let me say I'm visiting my children in New York today, so today you'll have a difficult time reaching me, but please do call, and I will return every phone call. I will. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now we open the floor for question and answer period. Good morning, Leah. This is Mary Lee. I have a question. Go right ahead, please. Um, Sally, please tell me what your morning and evening are like, what what you do. Okay, and first let me ask you, what was your name? This is Mary Lee in um, Paso Robles, California. Okay, I'm having a hard time hearing you. You're, you're, block, you're going in and out, but I did hear your question clearly, so I will go ahead and tell you. My morning and my evenings, you're asking me how I pray and meditate or how I start and end my day and how I do 11-step work, right? Is that what you're asking me? Yes. Okay. Well, I think that um, for everybody this is very different, but for me, I start my day, like many others, by just opening my eyes and saying, Good morning, Lord. It's just that simple. Good morning. The first the first thing, the first person I talk to is my higher power. Good morning, Lord. And I turn my thoughts to my higher power. And I spend a little time in thought talking to my higher power. In the morning when I wake up, I pray. I pray. I have morning devotionals that I like. And I have a prayer partner. I have a few prayer partners because sometimes my prayer partners aren't there for me. And for whatever reason, so I could just turn to another prayer partner. I, I have a few of them that are backups for me. And so I pray with someone in the morning. And that's pretty much how I get started with my morning devotionals. I have my favorites with my prayer time and with my time talking to my higher power. And that's really the most important thing to me is that I talk to my higher power. And, um, and I listen. I listen. That's a very important part for me is the listening part.
because my higher power does speak to me. And then in the evening when I'm going to bed, I often, when I go to bed, I lay with my in the dark, my head on my pillow, and I talk to my higher power, and I review my day. I literally do like a fast forward from the morning through my day, and I look for things that perhaps are still playing on my mind. Anything that's playing on my mind, that I consider restless, irritable, and discontent. If it's still playing on my mind, there's something that I need to look at it more closely, and I look at it. And these things, I can write them down on the spot. I can make a mental note. I'm going to probably have to look at this again tomorrow. I probably have to do a 10-step turnaround on that subject. That's, that's the beginning of you know, what I think about as I'm going to sleep. I always pray before I go to sleep. And there's often people around me that I can pray with. So my, my morning and my night are always um, prayer is a part of it. But I have to tell you, I live in step 11 throughout my day. Throughout my day, I'm praying. If I feel restless, irritable, and discontent, I stop and look at it on the spot. If I don't feel connected or if I feel like a little bit, you know, something's bothering me, I right away turn my thoughts to my higher power. And I don't just pray. I want to be very clear. I'll leave you with this thought. The book talks about pause. And I think that the reason why they talk about pause three times, they tell us to pause on XII. It says, if you have a drinking problem, we hope that you may pause. I have to tell you, if you have an eating problem, I hope that you will pause and ponder and pray. Because in the pause, a lot happens. If I would just pause, that's me in the pause, turning my thoughts to my higher power. Then I ponder what's going on here. And then I pray. And after I pray, I listen. And that's the answer I've got. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Mary Lou, for the question. Who's next? Hi, Sally. This is Danielle. Yes. Can you hear me okay? Oh, let me make Danielle, sure my go ahead. Hi. Um, number one, um, can I, I, I missed uh, your phone number, unfortunately, and I only I'll, got the first three digits. I'll offer that at the end of the meeting. Go ahead with your question, please, in the interest of time. Danielle, go ahead with your question. Hello? Danielle, go ahead with your question, please. I am so sorry. I'm having problems with my phone. <laughs> it just sent okay. me to some weird... That's all right. I just listened to it. Okay, anyway. Um... So I have been abstinent for a long time. I have a nutritionist. I exercise every day. I pray. And I am in a situation, um, my husband and I are very happy, but we are in a situation where we're staying with my family. And uh, I have been praying. We have made every possible move on our part to leave. But it seems that my, our higher power <laughs> wants to keep us there. And we have progressively gotten healthier. The family has progressively gotten healthier. But I would say on a regular basis, I feel irked. I'm constantly having to pray. I'm constantly having to turn things over. It's very hard for me to um, 
sit with where I am and feel contented because this is definitely not the life we want. And how do you turn, <laughs> I guess the question is, I love listening to what you shared. What do you suggest or do you have a place in the book that, I, I believe that my higher power has a, a path for me. How do I really just love <laughs> where I am despite the circumstances not appearing the way I think they should be? And there's a lot of shoulds in there. Yeah, I hear you. I hear your question, Mary Lou. I'm, I'm, I'm clear. Um, and thank you for your question. And um, if I had to give you one place in the book that would be very helpful to you, I would really highly recommend. You may have to read it on a daily basis. I did for a while. Acceptance was the answer. And primarily pages 417 through 420 were very, very key quest, key pages for me. When you, when you stop and consider that page 417, it says nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. You know, you would not be a normal woman if you did not feel a little dis, uh, discomfort or uncomfortable living with family because that's not really how the best thing for a family is, you know, for you to be a nuclear family, it's best for you to be off on your own, not living with parents or, or relatives, whatever the circumstances are. But that's where you are, and you are going to have to accept life completely on life's terms, as it says on page 417. So I would honestly say to you that I have had days, days in a row, where I was restless, irritable, and discontent, where I did 10-step inventory after 10-step inventory, day after day after day after day, six in a row, because I was restless, irritable, discontent, and I couldn't figure out Gosh, I've done a 10-step inventory, but I'm still annoyed about this. I'm still upset about this. I'm still angry to some level, whatever the feeling might be. I had to process it like a processing plant. You know, I had to package it and process it and ship it off to, been there, done that, okay, I got that, let it go, Sally. And in order for me to process it in the packaging plant and ship it off to, been there, done that, let it go, I had to process it. So you might have to do some 10-step turnarounds about it. But in all honesty, it sounds like you have a level of acceptance and you have a level of real-life discomfort. And, you know, I don't have the answer because I'm not your higher power. I would continually bring it to your higher power. And then I would, after you bring it to your higher power, I would let it go and accept and surrender what it is for today. Just for today, it is what it is. Thank you, Danielle, for the question. Leah? Who's next? Yes. Hi, hi, Leah. This is the real Mary Lou from California. The first two people have said, I don't know, there's a confusion. It was Mary Lee who okay. shared first. And Excellent. then whatever. And then the second person she, she thought was Mary Lou, but I'm, okay. I'm really Mary Lou from California. Okay. So right ahead, <laughs> anyway, Mary Lou. Yes. Well, thank you, Sally, for your share. I've heard you throughout the year um, share on the morning meeting um, and really have drawn a lot from your strength um, and your shares or just the brokenness that you come from. I really relate to that. My question is um, I'm having a hard time being recovered. I'm having a hard time being, because uh, I've 15 years of different types of food plans, different types of uh, offshoots from OA and and now I, I'm really, uh, this is going to sound kind of backwards, but this is, a, I need to take this to God, but I'm having a hard time um, living in my wellness because I'm so used to grasping for straws and so living in this wellness, trusting it, I'm like, do I deserve, you know, I just I have glimpses of, is this for real? Oh my gosh. 
I have not been food obsessed for, I want to say, nine months. I don't think about food. The first thought, like you said, when you wake up, is God. Thank you, God. I love you, God. Thank you, Lord. That's why I walk around in that step 11 also. And I just am thinking, oh, my God, something's going to happen where I'm going to go back to that, you know, food-obsessed, bingy person. And I am, I've never been so well, but it's been a hard acceptance that this, that it really is, and I hate to say this, but it really was this simple. Go through the big book with someone. I don't commit my food, which is creepy scary. I've always done that. Yeah. The person, yeah, so I'm having a hard time being an adult in recovery, a grown yeah. woman in recovery, yeah, owning it. Okay, so, I hear you. And, and I, mm-hmm. I just want to say, um, first of all, Mary Lou, I'm, I'm the real alcoholic, just so you know, <laughs> and um, because you're the real Mary Lou. But I want to say that when I hear you and I hear what you're saying is that I hear um, what it talked about on page 53 and 55 where it talks about um, arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with the question of faith. We couldn't duck the issue. Some of us had already walked far over the bridge of reason toward the desired shore of faith. It goes on to say reason had brought us so far. And I hear your reasoning. I hear you, you know, those two pages, 52 and 53, talk a lot, in fact, the whole chapter, talks about our reasoning, our intellectual prowess and our reasoning skills. But ultimately it tells us, when we get to the bottom of page 56, and um, in the middle of uh, our Southern Gentleman's Friend, at the bottom of the page it says that he had stepped from bridge to shore. And he stepped. He didn't, I thought he took a leap of faith. But he doesn't take a leap of faith. Ultimately, what I believe is that my higher power lifts up the bridge, and he moves the bridge. Picture yourself on a little wooden bridge that's crossing a little stream here. And he picks up the bridge, and he moves it over so that I don't have to make a leap of faith. I can literally step from the bridge onto the shore. And why can I do that? Because of the sentence before it. The barriers he had built through the years we're swept away. And that's what I, I hear you saying is that you are growing in where you are. You are growing in the process of being recovered. You are in a process of being recovered. It's, this is not something that is like a rock you can sit on. It's not a rock. It's more like a river. You're a leaf on a river, and you're flowing on that river. And there's going to be times where, you, you know, your leaf gets stuck behind some rocks, and you're in a, like a little whirlpool, and there's step 10. You're in a little whirlpool, but your leaf comes free, and you come back out, and you're back on the river, and you're flowing along. Okay, enough of Freddie the leaf. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. And that's the key for you stepping, not jumping or leaping, taking a leap of faith. What I'm trying to say, and I'm going to sound like a broken record by the time we're probably finished with this question-answer period, is that you have to surrender the process of you being recovered. This too. You have to surrender the food. You have to surrender the 12 steps as you take them. And eventually you have to surrender what does that mean to you to be recovered. You have to accept what it looks like for today. Yes, there are going to be days where being recovered feels like, wow, I am so happy. I feel so great. I'm recovered. And there are going to be days when you're going to be feeling feelings that you never felt before because you were, you were binging your brains out numb. You were anesthetizing yourself on food. So you were not living 
with feelings that you were used to. So, of course, you know, here I am now. I've been two years abstinence. You know, yesterday was my anniversary. And I've been recovered for about a year and a half, which is a really a tiny level of recovery in light of the people on this line who have 27 years and 15 years and these long, gargantuan years. i got a little year and a half. Let me tell you, I've never known the level of sanity that I know right now, ever, ever in my life. This is new territory. This is a stream that's rambling through new territory that I've never been in before. And is it uncomfortable? Only if I don't take my higher power's hand in God's hands. Those words are very powerful words on these pages. On page 80, 100, 120, 124, it describes what it looks like, what it feels like to be in God's hands. I don't just take God's hand anymore as I walk through my day. I take my left arm. My right hand is in God's hand. My left arm, I wrap it around his arm. I hold on like he's Superman. That's how I look at it. I'm holding on to my higher power. And I have to say, relax. It's not as hard as you might think. Let your higher power lead you. Let him lead the waltz. It's not a three-step waltz anymore. It's not going to be a one, two, three, one, two, three. It's far more intricate. And it's going to be a new way of living, a new design for living. And you're going to be happy, joyous, and free. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Mary Lou, for the question. Who's next? I didn't answer that question. I I didn't catch your name. Nancy. Nancy. Hi, Nancy. Go right ahead. Hi, thanks, Leah. Hi, Sally. Thank you so much for your share. I have enjoyed every minute of it, even with my three-year-old grandchildren here with me. But um, loved your your talk today. It hit at a point. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, the the point between putting your food down and having a spiritual experience and some of the tools that you used um, to keep the food down while you were doing the work. I know that that's often um, a difficult time, and I'm in that time right now. So, you know, been there, done that before, I understand, but I was curious about your story and what were some of the things that you did at the point where you made the decision to put the food down and then keeping it down while you did the work to get the spiritual experience. Oh, it's a great question, Nancy, and thank you for asking it. I I think it's a really great, great question. So I would say this, um, in putting the food down, I made, a, I made a lot of mistakes in putting the food down. For 29 years, I made a lot of mistakes. And the key mistake that I made that a lot of you are making is that you're not seeing what you're dealing with clearly. You don't quite get what you're dealing with. Remember that the book talks about the body and the mind illness. We know we have an allergy to our body. The doctor's opinion makes very clear, and there are other points throughout the writings that talk about the body and the mind connection. And we also know very clearly from what the book tells us that we have this mental blank spot, the blind spot, the mental, this crazy mental, I like to think of it sometimes like a, um, a selective dementia that I have in my brain that I forget how horrible it was when I was jumping into a boxing ring like, yeah, I can do this, you know, and dancing around the boxing ring with the food. But the truth of the matter was I was getting beaten up to a pulp and on the ground crawling to the edge of the mat to get underneath the, 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 um, the edges to get off the boxing mat to put the food down. And so putting the food down was never a problem for me, but keeping the food down was a hard part because 
the mental blank spots came into play. And the big book talks about this over and over on pages um, 23, 24, 33, 35, 37, 42 is a great one. I could I don't want to touch down on any of them, but you can look them up yourself. Page 92 talks about this as well. It talks about this mental twist that causes us to go back into the food, keeping in mind that this is the the part of the food that we really this is what throws us back into the food. This this mental twist is what throws us back into the food. Now, knowing that, you have to understand, you've got to put yourself out of harm's way. How am I going to do that, Sally? Well, let me tell you, top of page 102 says, go or stay, but be sure you're on, on spiritual ground, on strong spiritual ground before you go. That's the, I'm giving you the paraphrased version of that. And, and I have to say, I put myself into intensive care. If anybody's a nurse, they know what it looks like. If you're not a nurse and you've never been to an ICU, you don't understand what I'm saying. There are no televisions in ICU. The lights are dim in ICU. Why do they keep the lights dim in ICU? They keep the lights dim because they want to have a decrease of stimulation to the patient. They want them to be a complete rest. They even knock people out in ICU, completely knock them out for weeks so their bodies can get well. That's what they do in ICU. You've got to put yourself in ICU. You're going on vacation and you're breaking your abstinence. Surprise! You can't go on vacation and think you're going to get abstinence. Not going to happen. You're going to pick up because there's too many variables being thrown at you when you're on vacation. So if you want to get abstinence, you've got to go to your calendar today and carve out a period of time. It could be as much as four and a half months like me. I had to carve out four and a half months that I could not travel. I could not see my children. I could not visit my child when she had a grandbaby. I had to walk away and get well once and for all. And it was four and a half months. See, I did it over and over and over. I thought that I could just do the same old thing. That's the definition of insanity, thinking that you're going to have a different outcome. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing you always did and expecting different outcomes. Well, it's not going to work. If you want to put the food down and you want to become, not just put the food down and do step one. If you want to be recovered, it's time for you to embrace the reality of what you're dealing with. It is a disease likened to cancer in my mind. I don't know what you'll liken it to, but it's a very serious beast that's in you that you need to put to sleep sound asleep, put this thing to sleep. You don't want to kick it. You don't want to play with its ears. You don't want to tickle its ears or play with its tail. You want to put that beast in you to to sleep. And how are you going to put it to sleep? You're going to put the food down first. That's dealing with the allergy. And then you've got to pick up these tools. What did I do? I read a chapter a day in this book until I finished 100 page 164, and then I was deeply in study of this book. I could not get enough, because this book and the first 164 pages, this is my chemotherapy. That's what you have to do. You don't have to do this forever, but you do have to have your chemotherapy, small doses probably like me. Every morning I'm on a vision for you. I might not be speaking, but I'm there. I think I've missed a vision for you twice. Once my alarm clock didn't go off 
and I missed it, half of it. And another time, I'm just guessing, because I, I don't want to exaggerate and say I've never missed it. There's probably been one other time. I can't remember what that was. But in the last two years in July that A Vision for You has been, been around, I haven't missed it. Why? It's my chemotherapy. I take it very seriously. I have no life if the food is not down, if I don't stop the sick relationship with food and be living in a healthy relationship with my higher power, then I don't get to be a life. I get to be a shell of a woman walking around. That's my answer. Thank you, Nancy, for the question. Anyone else with a question before we wrap up this morning? Hi, this is Renata. I have a question. Yes, go ahead. Hi, and thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, my question is, you know, I've been recovered for a few months now, a couple of months, and uh, I really try to use the principle of, you know, let it go, uh, how important is it? And so, like, how do you know if, like, if you had a, a little, a, a minor annoyance in your day, and it's, I have a minor annoyance at work in the morning, and I make peace with it, and I let it go, and I don't think about it the whole day. Well, let's say when I'm doing my step 11 at night, it go, when I review my day, it goes through my head like, oh, I got annoyed at this in the morning, but I don't feel anger. Like, is there a need to do a step 10 on every? single thing, like if it crosses my mind again, or if I feel that I'm not angry at it anymore, it, it's gone. Like, I'm having a hard time identifying the things I need to do step dance on or not. Like, could you maybe... Renata, I, I yes? think I understand your question. I would just say this, because you only have two months of recovery, I would say, because a lot of people would answer this question differently. Some people would say, no, you don't do a step 10 on everything. And some people would say, yes, you do a step 10 on everything. I would say because you have, um, because you are two months recovered, first of all, of course, you want to speak to your sponsor about it. And then second of all, I would really recommend that you have a piece of paper or a, or a, a a, a little, you know, tablet next to your bed. And before you go to sleep, you write down the things that come to your mind that, that happened throughout the day that were troubling to you. Because I believe in the beginning I did it just like that. Everything was in writing. Because I was, you know, still doing everything very formally. But as I was developing a way of living, a manner of living, a design of living, I, don't, I didn't have it in the beginning. I was just developing the manner of living, the way of living, the design for living. So that's why I would recommend you take a pad of paper at the end of your day and write down those things that come to you and look at them the next day. And if you look at them the next day and you have feelings attached to them and they're still troubling you, you might want to write about, do a 10-step turnaround on them. And give it away. That's See, the 10-step turnaround is that you write, you do your writing, you do your writing like as if you're doing a fourth step on resentment, fear, and um, your sex inventory. But then you move forward, you give it to somebody, and then you look at where are my character flaws, where can I see my character flaws in step six. That's your step six in there. And then you, you say the prayer, my creator, and you go to step eight and nine, and you decide, do I owe somebody amends for what I've done here, what's happened here with relation to this thing that's troubling me? Because if you're writing it down, it clearly is troubling you, and you need to look at it. And then that's where you did the whole step 10, 
and you move into step 11 and 12. Again, you live in step 10, 11, and 12. So I think if you listen to what I've shared earlier, you're going to hear the answers to what you're asking, the question you're asking. You probably need to hear it a few times. But ideally what I would say to you is speak with your sponsor. And number two, if it's coming up again, if it's something that's playing on your mind at night, it may be worth writing it down. And the next day, it may be worth doing more work on that because you are at the beginning phases and you are developing you know, you're developing this manner of living. Keep in mind, some of us are ruminators. I am a ruminator too. And I have had to do many, many 10 steps over and over and over and over and over because I have a hard time letting things go. That's a part of my character defect. Does it mean I don't do the 10-step turnaround? No, I just have to keep doing the 10-step turnaround until I'm really ready to let go. I was playing God for a lot of years of my life. So me letting go and letting God is really new territory for me, and it might be for you too. I hope that answers your question, Renata. Thank you, Renata. Anyone else? Hi. Yeah. Hi, this is Jane. May I share? I heard Jane. Go ahead. Okay. This is. Thank you so much, Sally, and everybody. Um, this is my first time sharing on this meeting. Um, I hope I don't offend anybody by saying anything about my food plan, but I have been um, on a very regimented food plan, weighing and measuring without exception for 16 years, but I've had a tremendous amount of relapse in and out, in and out, in and out. Anyway, the point is, um, when, I heard, when I heard you, Sally, what I heard was that I, you know, not to, I don't want a sick relationship with food. I want a relationship with God. That's the only thing that's going to take me away from this sick relationship, even if it's in abstinence. And um, I'm a little confused because I'm very, I, I'm ve- I need structure and I'm very undisciplined and I'm very dishonest with, you know, food and yada, yada. And um, do, does it require the steps to get that honesty with the food? Does the food come after? I mean, I know I have to put down... No. Please let me say this. I, I, I think I hear your question. Are you asking me that will the steps help you to put the food down? Is that what you're saying? Well, I guess can can you work it together? I mean, I don't hear a lot. I, I hear a lot. I mean, that's what attracts me to this meeting is that it's about the solution, you know, not worshiping the food, worshiping God. Okay. Let me answer your question for you real simple. This this okay. What we talk about on it, what this big book you know, a vision for you is all about the big book. That's what it really is. We're doing a big book study here. And the key thing that we want to, we really want to drill home and drive home for you so that you can get well is, A, number one, that we have a condition, a real condition. We are, you know, we're not going to just lump it under the condition of food addict anymore. I did that for many years. I said I'm a food addict, but I never quite understood what it was. Let me be clear. We have an allergy of our body. And if you had a reaction to the allergy of the food that you're eating that's making you sick and making you not think clearly, which is really ultimately what happens is it makes us drunk. We walk around drunk. Let me put it in the terms of an alcoholic. Would an alcoholic work these steps and be in the alcohol while he's working these steps? He told me to wake you up. He told me to wake you up. I'm sorry. I'm hearing somebody else speaking. Somebody could mute themselves. It would be helpful. So can an alcoholic... Be in the food. Can they be in their alcoholic drink? I'm sorry. I don't know if you can hear me. 
Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, no, no, we, no. It says that in the in the doctor's opinion, we we have to have. Um, Let me well, rehabilitate. Right, right. Let me just finish my statement here. XXVI at the bottom, it says it imperative, it's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. And I gave great examples for um, the fact that it uses the word he made a beginning. On page 35, this guy, he stopped drinking. He made a beginning, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. The key thing is, you have to put the food down first. You do. You simply have to put the food down first. Then you want to develop that relationship with your higher power. That is what's going to help you to not turn back to that old sick lover, that old sick friendship, that old sick relationship with the food. If you're not developing your relationship with your higher power, you will be scared in life. You will be you will feel alone with, with life and it'll be overwhelming and you will turn back to an old friend that appeared to have worked in the past but didn't. Okay, that's all I got to say on that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Anyone else? Hi. Yes, this is Nancy O. from Ohio. Thank you. Your turn. Go ahead. Thank you. Grateful. Recovered in Ohio. Question, Sally. I realize sometimes I have to walk through the fear. On fear turnarounds, I always thought it would get rid of the fear, and I recently was told that that may not happen. I may still have the fear after doing a fear turnaround, even though I do it with God. Can you fill me with some wisdom on this? Thank you. Well, I, I don't know if I can give you wisdom, but I can give you the big book. I can tell you what the big book says on this. And I have to tell you that when I get to the end of my fear turnaround, I always add to the end of my fear turnaround these two thoughts, always. I never do a fear inventory without adding page 417 through 420, I stand on two legs, and they really help me when it comes to the fear turnaround. Am I willing to accept life on God's terms? Because when I'm scared, that's usually what it's about, that I don't like what's happening. I'm scared because I can't control what is coming my way. It's always about a control issue. That's what fear is for me. Resentment is that I couldn't control you guys in the past, and my fear is that I can't control my future. It was always a control issue. So ultimately, it boils down to accepting life on God's terms and surrendering outcomes. Page 420, it says, acceptance is the key to the relationship with God. It goes on to say on the bottom of 420, I leave the results up to him. Well, how can you be afraid? If you're leaving the results up to him, you're going to surrender the outcomes. You're going to surrender what the picture is going to look like. However it turns out, that's God's will for me. And let me say, to take it one step further, I would recommend page 68. These key words on page 68 that have really been a really great thing for me is the words, faith means courage. You know, being in a place of fear, I lived in fear for a long time. But now, I live in a different place. I live in a place of courage. And when I live in courage, the way, the, what courage looks like for me, what faith 
equals courage. So what faith looks like for me is that I'm going to say thank you to my higher power for whatever is coming my way. And let me tell you, I've had to say thank you to some really uncomfortable things. I, I also say, really, God? Really? Okay. I'm a little shocked that this is coming my way. So I say, really? But ultimately, I have to say, okay, thank you. Thank you for what's happening. Please help me to adjust myself to what is. That's what this program has taught me, to no longer squirm and make it about how I want it to look. It's about me fitting myself to what is, whatever it is. Faith means courage, means that I say thank you when it's not comfortable, when it's not something that you would normally say thank you to. But my saying thank you is my active way of saying I accept life on your terms and I will surrender the outcome. And if you can add those two things to the end of your fear inventory, I think you will find maybe a deeper peace. Not my words. It's the big book's words. Thanks for the question, Nancy O. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Nancy. Who's next? Um, I have a question. My name is Roz. Roz, go ahead. Your turn. Uh, Sally, um, thank you so much for your share. I want to ask a question um, that I don't know how you can refer me to the big book in this, but um, what about decisions that have been made um, at a time when not in a good place and then in a better place, now you have to live with the results that you don't like you that you, you, you actually to affect. How does that relate to God's will when you made decisions that now um, you can see, you know, you made an impulse or and not in a good place? What do you do with those? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Thank you. And, you know, <laughs> I just want to say it does seem very unfair, doesn't it? It seems yeah. very unfair that we're going to ask God to come into our lives and make adjustments for things, mistakes we've made and decisions that we've made. And, um, you know, I found that my God is very gracious that way, that he, he doesn't necessarily, like, let me give you an example. One of the things that blocked me, and, and, you know, it'll answer a lot of other people's questions, too, in the process. One of the things that blocked me when I reached step three and I was in the process of going through the 12 steps was when I had to, um, you know, write my inventory on, on, about my divorce, when I had to, you know, confront my ex-husband who was really a, not a nice character in my life, you know, was a really difficult character for 18 and a half years of marriage, and then for years of going through getting divorced, it was a really tough situation. And let me tell you that I I was very angry at God, very angry at God. Um, when I wrote my first God letter, because my sponsor said to me, Sally, I think you're going to have to write a letter to God because something is wrong. I can't quite put my finger on it, what's wrong, but there is something wrong with your um, relationship with your higher power. It's like a very like nonchalant, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she saw that clearly for what it was. And... Um, so I wrote my letter, and in the process, the very first few lines were, I'm mad at you. I'm so spitting mad at you. I don't want to talk to you. And, I, and it pisses me off that I have to come to you to help me now because I don't have any other choice. But ultimately what happened was 
when I was doing the work in the fourth step and then the fifth step and even moving into making amends to my ex-husband, which was a very not a happy day for me because I had to take take control of my, I had to really look at my part of what happened in my side of the street and um, and accept that perhaps he wasn't going to be gracious and take any responsibility for his side of the street because that was none of my business. But ultimately what I found was I had to go to God and say and, and be honest with God about my part. And when and what I hear you saying is, okay, I've done that, Sally. I've taken responsibility for my part, and I've made some gouging mistakes. And, you know, page 87 talks about how we, we might pay for this presumption. We Even after we recover, we might pay for the presumption of all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plate of, a plane of inspiration, and we come to rely upon that. We're going to make mistakes in the future, and we've made mistakes in the past. We're going to have to accept and surrender the outcomes of those mistakes and watch and see how our higher power will hold our hand as we walk through the storms we may have to walk through because of the decisions we made. When you read this book and you see the people who are making amends for things that they did, scary amends, scarier than I had to make, things that might even put them into prison, or, or monetary amends that they had to make that could really bowl them over for a long time financially, they still had to go forward, and they, what did they do? They went forward with God. They did it with God, whether it was about their flaws that, um, or the things that people did to them or things that they did to other people. Ultimately, it's all about you taking your higher power's hands. Stop being scared of your higher power. He's a big God. He's, he can do this, and he has answers for you. But you stay in today. Don't try to solve your life problems next weeks, next years. Stay in today and walk with your higher power and watch and see. Again, pause, ponder, pray. Don't forget to plan because, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Thank you, Roz, for the question. And who's next? And then we'll wrap up this morning. This is Shoshana. Shoshana, go ahead. Can you hear me? Hi, Sarah. Thank you very much. Um, this is Shoshana from Philadelphia. I really appreciated what you said about the one, two, three waltz. I am um, working with an amazing recovered sponsor, and I've probably done the one, two, three waltz thoroughly, maybe seven, eight, nine times. I filled journals upon journals, and I know to my depths, like what I am, that I'm a compulsive overeater. I know that it's going to kill me. I know that it does kill me. That after like seven, eight, nine days of, or maybe late these days, six, seven days of feeling good, being in program, calling recovered people, doing everything I need to be doing, going through the one, two, three, getting myself back up to the four, the seventh day comes and I'm like, it's not so bad. And I pick up a fruit or I pick up a, the wrong vegetable or something. And then that's where my mind goes. And then I, it leads to me picking up my sugar and flour. What, what like do you suggest? It's been, this has been... I've been in program four and a half years now, and I'm, like, working with Vision for You sponsors for the past year. And, like, I don't have a choice. I know I'm going to die if I don't get this. And I'm, I'm sorry. You're saying you're still picking up? Are you saying you're abstinent or are you still picking up? No. Um, so I, I'm abstinent for six, seven days. Then I pick up, and I'm honest with my sponsor. It's the first time that I've been able to be really honest with my sponsor. Um, I've probably had, like, 20 sponsors in four years. and And then I'm going back to, like... I realize I can't, 
I'll stay one one or two days maybe in the food or even the next day bounce back. But it's it's hell, this process. And I yeah. I don't know how to keep it. It's killing me. Okay. okay. And it is. I believe it is killing you. I certainly know that, that same fear and of what's going to happen to me. Um, how much am I going to weigh before it's over? And um, am I even going to be alive when it's over? And I just I don't say, even. That's just so you know. It's not even. It's not even so much a weight thing. I only have 15 pounds to lose. Like, it's my mind. It's killing my life. Okay. My children. Yeah. My marriage. That's, that's very true for a lot of people. That it's not about the weight because you know it's not. You know it's not. It's not necessarily. There are people here that have been bulimics like me for a lot of years and didn't have a lot of weight to lose because they were doing all kinds of other things. So I understand that thin is not well. I, I'm very clear that thin is not well. I've had years of thin and not well years. But what I would say to you is this. First of all, this is part of your journey. It is. Nothing is wasted in God's economy, as my sponsor so lovingly says to me all the time. It's true. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. All of these pickups are part of you reaching a level of frustration, fear, and desperation that will lead you to a place of saying, oh, please, I can't go on like this. Please, God, help me. You will reach a level of desperation because you're doing this. Or you can decide that today is the end of that road and that you are going to stop and you're going to do some things. And the first thing you're going to do is step one, put the food down. You might have to look at what you're eating. It might be something that you're eating that's tripping you back into that dark, dank hole down deep in the food that you keep crawling out of and you crawl for two days or six days or eight days and you fall back to the bottom of the pit in the food. You might have to look at what's in that pit. What's, what, what was it that caused you to fall back into the pit? Was it the food or was it because you were so restless, irritable, and discontent with life when you started to get less numb and you couldn't stand the pain? And therefore, you turned back to that old friend, food, instead of taking the hand of your higher power and developing a new relationship. Let me say it like this. Every time you say yes to the food, you say no to your higher power. Every time you say no to the food, you are turning your face away from an old, hideous, ugly old friendship that was not a healthy relationship. Turn your face to the right and put it on your higher power and develop that relationship. Because it seems to me that's a big part of why I kept turning into the food because I wasn't willing to turn my head to the right. Yes, you've got that honesty. Remember what I said at the bottom of 13. You've got four key components, four essentials, four elements that are required for you to recover. And it sounds like you've got rigorous honesty about the food with your sponsor. It sounds like you're willing to go to your sponsor. You're willing to tell her what you ate. But remember, it's also about you making a decision to turn to your higher power and not turn to the old way of thinking, your old habit of turning to the food. And when you don't turn to the food, you will begin to feel What you're feeling is what you were eating over. So get a piece of paper and a pen and start writing all the crud that's coming out of you 
write down how you're feeling and make a lot of phone calls. And does take that in the beginning. It takes a lot of phone calls to say, I'm scared, I'm feeling this. I'm, I'm, you know, you're overwhelmed with feeling because you've been anesthetizing for so long. It's like you're coming out of a coma called food. So, yeah, you're going to have these feelings. And may I say again, at the bottom of 87, it says, as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. Listen, for those of you who are struggling with the food, two, three, sevens, and two weeks of abstinence, I've been there, done that. You've had to draw a line in the sand, a very deep line. You write your food down in the morning, and the minute you start deviating in your thought, remember, all action, the action of picking up takes place in the decision that you're thinking all before, long before you picked up, long before you walked to that refrigerator, long before you speak to that restaurant server or waitress. First, there was a thought. Well, if you wrote your food down in the morning when you still were sane and sober for, you know, for the first 20 minutes of the day, before the insanity really came over you, if you write your food down and you give it to your sponsor, that's you putting a line in the sand. The minute your thought says, maybe I shouldn't have chicken for lunch, maybe I should have this, boom, that's when you need to make a phone call. I'm having crazy thoughts. That's when, in, in the beginning, that's what it's like. You have to do whatever it takes to get yourself, well, I can't, how many phone calls can I make? Well, then get your big book out. Well, then carry a little one in your back pocket. This is what I had to do. I had to acknowledge. So I wrote the food down. I drew a line in the sand. And then before I would make any deviation, I had to make a phone call to my sponsor or another recovered person, not just a buddy or an OA friend, a recovered person, your sponsor, first your sponsor, then another recovered person if you must. If you don't have the willingness to make that phone call, then don't change your food. And that, I think, was a very key component of me being able to put the food down repeatedly so many times. I hope that helps. Thank you very much for the question, Shoshana. And thank you, Sally, for all your time and energy with us this morning on the line. Thank you for the presentation. We all very much appreciate that. And I'm going to close the meeting in the way we always close our meetings here on A Vision for You, and that's from page 164. Can I ask for... That's from page 164 from the chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.